Well, welcome to another week of uh, new broadcasting here on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I hope you had a nice weekend. A uh, very, very relaxing weekend for a lot of people, kind of nerve-wracking for others. Uh, I know in our family it was nice to celebrate my mom and dad's 67th wedding anniversary this past Friday night. Uh, I had a chance to spend some time with them around uh, for a nice dinner on the actual day of their anniversary. It's kind of fun. I'm kind of a nut about that kind of stuff. I like to celebrate birthdays on the day. And uh, it, when... In mom and dad's case, since they were married on Friday, August the 5th, 1955, at around 7, 7.30 p.m., they chose a, a Friday night, a uh, little unconventional for their day because everyone was getting married on Saturday mornings and Saturday afternoons. But that worked well for their, they were getting ready to start their teaching careers and kind of gave them a head start in their honeymoon. But uh, it was nice to look at the calendar and realize that last Friday was Friday, August the 5th. And right around dinner time there, we were actually having a nice meal. King's Fish House in Laguna Hills. Thanks, guys, for the great uh, celebratory cheesecake. And then it was kind of fun. And then my sister got a chance to celebrate with them on Sunday. And uh, that was great, too. So mom and dad, happy 67th wedding anniversary uh, to you both. 67 years in holy matrimony, 69 years together as a couple, and 89 candles in each of their birthday cakes this year. So very, very grateful to have them around. You know, it's uh, this weekend was also a big weekend here in the United States of America as Senate Democrats were able to get a big victory for themselves and for President Biden. And in theory, they're hoping that this big victory with this massive budget reconciliation is going to bode well for them in the midterms. Um, now, whether or not it will remains to be seen, but uh, in case you didn't hear, uh, there, you're hearing a couple of different things. Joe Manchin caved. That's one of the things you're hearing. Um, another one is that uh, uh, the, House is, or the House bill that passed in October and then the Senate bill that passed over the weekend um, are going to spend us into oblivion. Well, there's bits and pieces of each of those that are true. But I wanted to do some analysis, balance, and clarity today. Uh, we're going to take the first hour of the program and do so, uh, based in, in part on an opportunity that I was given just within the past week to uh, take a look at the climate change part of this massive bill, uh, see what the progressives have been pushing for, and then get some scientific um, muscle, if you will, uh, not necessarily from a Christian uh, perspective. I mean, obviously we're Christians and this is how we look at it, but uh, I, I have made the acquaintance of a research scientist and a great organization that are going to help us look at the whole climate change conversation and ask the question, did the Senate really need to pony up this kind of money uh, that was going on? Now, first and foremost, remember that the Build Back Better plan uh, Joe Biden proposed last year was going to cost American taxpayers $3.5 trillion over the course of uh, a decade. Now, remember that government spending always gets spread out, so it never hits all at once. So people who say, we're, we can't afford that much money right now, you don't have to. But also when they say, we're gonna save this money right now, that's not true. It happens over the course of a decade or so. And usually the biggest pain from any increase in spending happens um, uh, initially, but then it kind of it doesn't show up in the books until after the president or whoever it was that was in power at that time is out of office. I mean, most of the parties set this thing up that way. So what we're talking about here is a budget reconciliation. Please understand what that is. I mean, you're familiar with the term. A budget reconciliation is different than a spending plan because a budget reconciliation takes money that's already been earmarked, already been approved, and says we're going to move it around. 
it's like if you I, I use Dave Ramsey examples a lot for budget recs, but a bu- budget reconciliation in this case means that if you had say let's say you had a thousand dollars to budget and you put a hundred dollars here and fifty dollars there et cetera et cetera you had the little envelopes you know set them up the way you would do it good budgeting right. Um, if you had a budget reconciliation, let's face it, there are certain times when maybe you're not budgeting a lot of money to buy new clothing. Maybe it's $50 a month or $100 a month, whatever it is. And you don't use that money for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden you need to purchase something and it costs more than what you've been saving for the past two or three months. You look into another one of your envelopes, another one of your accounts and say, well, um, I haven't gone to the dry cleaners that much or we haven't gone out to eat that much and I've got some money left over in that. Instead of saving up for a big hot date night or a vacation, why don't we take some of the money we'd save for the date vacation entertainment fund, put it in the clothing fund so we can purchase what we want to purchase. Okay, That's what you would call a budget reconciliation. The money's the same. It's already been earmarked. It's just you're going to take money from one department and move it to another. Now, it gets a little dicey when you do that because you know if you borrow from one account, then that that amount's going to come due at some point. And anytime the government says they are, quote unquote, saving you money, but then they also put in increases in taxes somewhere, they're not saving you money. Not at all. On, on paper, what they'll do to get a bill passed is they'll say, well, we're going to tax these people a lot. Remember the Affordable, well, I use the Affordable Care Act as an example. And this is regardless of party, uh, the party that was running it. Uh, the Affordable Care Act was predicated on two false premises. Pre- false premise number one was that the government would be able to negotiate better prices with big pharma for certain medications. They'd kind of eliminate the insurance industry. Well, that didn't happen, obviously. Uh, secondly, that young people who don't ordinarily buy health insurance because, quite frankly, they don't need it as much as we older folk, that they would now be forced into buying and all those premiums would help offset the cost. Well, guess what? How many people looked at the increase that they were going to have to pay for health insurance and said, forget it. We're not going to pay that. <laughs> Why should we? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? If I don't need health insurance, I'll pay for it as I go. So I'm not going to buy it. So therefore, those premiums aren't coming in and they're not being used to offset the cost of the so-called Affordable Care Act. So a lot of the subsidies, which is the only way that people could get it and actually save money, we're going to get that opportunity. But also, you know, it's just it didn't whenever the government says we will just print more money, pull it out of thin air. We're already, what, 30 trillion dollars in the hole. The Build Back Better plan was going to pull three point five trillion more out of thin air basically, and they couldn't get it passed. Mercifully, couldn't get it passed. This new plan has been uh, retitled and rebranded as the Inflation Reduction Act. And you and I both know what that means. What they're saying is inflation, that was caused by the federal government's policies, the Federal Reserve's policies on interest rates and just about everything else put a lot of people out of work, but started sending money anyway to them. You know, how, how let's face it, how many people have had to be bribed back into going to work because the benefits of not working were so good during the pandemic? And now we find ourselves as a nation, well, the, the job market is heating up, it's screaming back, you know, 280,000 new jobs created in July, and woo, boy, way to go, President Biden. But roll that back a second. In Orange County, California, for example, 
there was a, a, an increase in the number of people who were hired. This is from the Orange County Register. There was an increase in the number of people who were hired in July. It was bigger than what they anticipated. And yet, the labor force participation in Orange County is still 5% lower than it was before the pandemic. So if you get to the point, I'll, I use the weight example a lot. Let's say you're a man, you weigh 200 pounds. You go on an eating binge and you gain 300 pounds. And then you lose... 30 pounds because you gained, you were 300. You can easily say, hey, you know what? I just dropped 10% of my body weight. Isn't that great? Look at me go. I'm, I'm losing weight like crazy. Isn't this super? I just lost 30 pounds in a month. Well, yeah, but you gained 100 pounds before that. So you're still 70 pounds over where your ideal weight was. That These are the kinds of games that the government plays with money all the time. Budget reconciliation is, is a... Is a rather cruel mistress it's how the affordable care act was passed uh joe manchin was able to come on board and kristen cinema they were the two democratic holdouts for passing this thing the original bill was 3.5 trillion dollars back in october of last year the house of representatives passed a bill that was 1.75 trillion this bill is somewhere around 400 billion Everyone keeps telling us the Congressional Budget Office told us that this was going to drop the overall. It was going to reduce our deficit by four hundred fifty million dollars. Then it was three or four hundred fifty billion. Then it was three hundred billion. As of this morning, CNN says that number is down to two hundred eighty-eight billion. Mike Pompeo, who's part of Jay Sekulow's program, Secular Live, and part of the American Center for Law and Justice, former U.S. Secretary of State, said it's not going to decrease spending and the debt by 480 billion it's going to increase and the way they are planning on cutting the spending so to speak is by raising taxes on the quote-unquote super wealthy and on corporations well john thune of south dakota good biola university graduate uh was able to uh, commandeer a bit of a, a relief in terms of some of how this is going to quote-unquote pay for itself that tax the wealthy companies thing that was supposed to raise $38 billion in new revenue that had tentacles and clawbacks that went into some of the smallest LLCs and S-Corps in the United States. That bill has since, that portion of the bill has since been scrapped. So now that budget deficit that we were going to see, re, or the, uh, we're going to see reduced by $400 billion has down by about 35. And we're going to see more and more of this. But one of the biggest issues hands down regards to the bill is whether or not i mean it's got uh you know insulin and you know uh, cheaper uh, subsidies free vaccines for seniors yeah 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 but the biggest issue is that the deal would be the biggest climate investment in u.s history According to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, this would slash U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by 40 percent uh, by 2030. It extends tax credits for electric vehicles. It, uh, um, and this is something that Joe Manchin from West Virginia, a coal producing state, was against. The tax credits would continue at their current levels up to $4,000 for a used electric vehicle, which, by the way, is kind of worthless. $7,500 for a new one. The threshold for eligibility, though, would be limited. 
How, here's another one. A 10-year consumer tax credit to bring down the cost of heat pumps, rooftop solar, electric HVAC, and water heaters. It includes $60 billion for funding for environmental justice communities and for the reduction of legacy pollution. $60 billion toward domestic clean energy manufacturing. $30 billion for a production credit tax toward wind, solar, and battery storage. And $4 billion in drought funding. The tax credits will be technology neutral. They will not favor renewables over fossil fuels. However, they're designed to reward those who reduce their emissions the most. Now, it goes on from there, but the question is, how bad is the climate crisis that the Senate, by putting billions of dollars toward fighting climate crisis, we are the leading industrial nation fighting and succeeding and winning the war already without all this being spent. So how is it that we need this right now? On the other side of this break, I've asked Professor David Dilley to join me. Uh, Professor Dilley is the senior research scientist at an organization called Global Weather Oscillations Incorporated, GWO. He's studying climate pulse technology. He's studying climate cycles in the culture. And he has some shocking new evidence that the climate change that we're experiencing is in fact real. However, it's cyclical and we are about to move from global warming to global cooling in fairly short order. Why? Because that's just the way science works. Uh, Professor Dilley joins me next as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but it has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. One of the biggest concerns that people have in the culture right now is what to make of the climate change phenomenon, what to make of the climate change crisis, as it were. Are we, in fact, in crisis? I mean, the president announcing an executive actions even recently and says this is the type of situation that we must deal with as a nation. But how desperate is the situation? Well, today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by an expert in this uh, in this subject. Uh, Professor David Dilley is with me. He's a meteorologist, climatologist, uh, paleoclimatologist as well, former NOAA National Weather Service meteorologist. He's the, currently the CEO of Global Weather Oscillations, which is a company that's really heavily involved in research and development of technology to really predict natural climate cycles and hurricanes and things of that nature so we can find out what the actual science is doing as opposed to, uh, well, I guess, separating the hype from the real science. Uh, Professor Dilley, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. We have a lot of great information to give today. Some of the, I would 
consider biggest news in 20 years on climate change. Well, that's interesting because when you mention the term climate change, immediately people go into one of two camps. Either it's the end of the world and we just better hunker down or you know stop using plastic, or it's all in your imagination, it's, it's all political, this, that, and the other thing. Climate change in and of itself, that term has become highly politicized, but climate change is actually a natural phenomenon, is it not? It is totally natural. And what we need to do is uh, understand the past, to understand the future and today. But first of all, we need to understand what's happening uh, in the Arctic and Antarctic right now. Global warming begins at the poles. Uh, when The P-O-L-E-S, not the P-O-L-L-S. Right. At, <laughs> that's right. At the uh, North Pole, South Pole, Antarctic, Arctic. Yeah. That is where it begins. When we go into global warming, the Arctic and Antarctic warm up first. Mm -hmm. That's what happens first. And then that warming spills over to the mid-latitudes and you're in global warming, like what we have now. Mm -hmm. And when you have the warmest temperatures, we're peaking right now and it's uh, ending. Now, when it ends at the poles, what happens is the poles cool down and the cool air, colder air spills over to mid-latitudes uh, and global warming's over in global cooling. Right now, and you probably have not heard this in the news anywhere, it gets buried, the Antarctic had its coldest winter on record in 2021. Whoa. And this year, 2022, they're in the winter now, and it's running very cold again. And so there looks like they are set in the global cooling pattern. Okay. Now, when we shift up to the uh, North Pole, the Arctic, the Arctic right now is having the coldest spring and summer on record. Interesting. Uh, since, well, since records in 1958. Mm -hmm. So that uh, means it's cold air building up, up in the Arctic also. So that when you have both poles cooling down like that, that means we are entering global cooling. Uh, we just have to wait for it to spill over into the into the mid latitudes, and that's probably going to happen this winter. Interesting. Now, to understand the uh, the um, CO two aspect of it, everyone says, "Well, we have way too much CO two in the atmosphere, and we're having problems. Uh, we need to do something about it." Well, what we need to do is we have to understand the past to understand what's happening now and what is happening in the future or will happen. And if we look at the past, I've looked at the past uh, cycles of uh, temperature and carbon dioxide going back 600,000 years. And the peaks in on CO2 in the atmosphere is greatly underrepresented, underreported, greatly. So I looked at it, added a little bit more information to it, and I came out with the, the peaks of CO2 on the cycles, cycles of CO2 in the past 600 years, mm -hmm. are very close to what we have today. Interesting. Very close. So when we bring that forward to today, what do we see? Well, Noah says since 1850, the increase in CO2 in the atmosphere is 100% fossil fuel industrial. Mm -hmm. Well, looking at the past history and that the CO2 in the past is very close to what we have now on the on these spikes of the cycles, 
What I'm saying is the increase since 1850 is 80% natural, only mm. 20% fossil fuel. That means we have not enough fossil fuel in, in, in the atmosphere to cause any change in climate change. It's, it's a natural, natural cycle. Now, the big thing is a new research paper came out in the, uh, oh, a couple months ago by Ken Scrabble et al. There are three physicists published in a physics journal. What they talked about in the paper is how we measure CO2 in the atmosphere right now is on top of a high mountain out in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Okay. Use a spectrometer. Spectrometer, yes, it gives us uh, daily readings of the uh, carbon dioxide. However, it does not separate natural from industrial. Mm. Just gives you the total. Mm -hmm. So NOAA uses a little formula to try to separate it. And their formula says, well, it's 100% rise due to industrial. Mm -hmm. Well, the physicists found an error in uh, in their calculations and they formulated their own algebraic formula and what they found is a rise since 1850 is 80% natural just mm. like what i said yeah 20% wow. fossil and then there is another uh, research uh, article out there where you use fossilized plant leaflets going back a thousand years that's a uh, more accurate than what they use for the past on ice core samples mm -hmm. uh, on the plant leaflets what that shows is it is also an 80 percent rise natural naturally so we have a whole bunch of data out there that people are not hearing about that this is a natural cycle we're very close to where we're supposed to be co2 wise temperature wise we're supposed to be warm at the end of a cycle and now the poles are cool, uh, cooling down dramatically. Right, right. So we're right on our way into global cooling. Wow. Uh, Professor David Dilley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, Senior Research Scientist with Global Weather Oscillations Incorporated. We have a link for their website up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we're talking about the, the climate crisis, and I say that in air quotes, uh, perhaps so-called, uh, as Professor Dilley has been pointing out, the rise in CO2 levels that we have been told is all man-made carbon emissions, et cetera, et cetera. We have to go electric cars, this, that, and the other thing uh, is actually more 80% natural and 20% um, industrial, but Professor Dilley, I, I would push back just a little bit and ask this question for a little further explanation, if you would. You're tracking numbers since 1850, and I think it's fairly safe to say that uh, we're a far more industrialized country today than we were, say, in 1850, or the world is, for that matter. Has that rapid spike, you know, from basically nothing to, you know, 20 percent, is that cause for concern over the past, you know, uh, 150, 200 years? No, it isn't, because the total CO2 in the atmosphere, we're right around running about 90 percent uh, of the, uh, only 90 percent is natural in the atmosphere right now. Okay. Only about 10 percent is fossil, maybe mm -hmm. even less. Mm -hmm. We do not know. A lot of the measurement on CO2 in the atmosphere is guesswork. Mm. Um, they do don't, not they, know. don't they call that estimates and, and projections? It is all estimates. It <laughs> yeah. is all estimates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they estimate, uh, well, we're uh, putting so much CO2 into the atmosphere. Well, that has to be causing a uh, 100% rise. Mm. Well, wow. no, because 
we're pretty close to where we have been in the past. And also, we do not know how much of that carbon dioxide, CO2, goes back into the oceans, reabsorbed in the oceans, uh, taken up by plant life and other facets in, in the natural cycles. We Instead, they use some formulas, guesswork is what it is, mm-hmm. and they're guessing at it. And the three physicists in the formula that they uh, just created, doing a little tweak on the NOAA formula where they found an error, uh, this takes all of that into account pretty much, and it is showing 80% natural rise. And if it's an 80% natural rise, industrial is not doing a bit to the climate change. Wow, that is that is fascinating. Professor David Dilley, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about changes in the climate that have been politicized and relabeled as quote-unquote climate change, and that's even elicited the response from the White House recently of a series of executive actions saying we're in an emergency. This is the job one for all of us here in the United States and all over the world. Uh, we're in danger of you know, basically uh, blowing up our planet if we don't take care. Uh, Professor Dilley has been talking to us about natural climate change and CO2 emissions. We're going to talk about some solutions then you were what to look for what be, could potentially be a danger spot but what are some areas where we're actually getting it right right now and just contributing to the natural ebb and flow of the cycle of it gets warmer and then it gets cooler in our society more of my conversation with professor david dilly in just a moment as the bottom line continues Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Fascinating conversation with Professor David Dilley today here on the program. He's the senior research scientist at an organization called Global Weather Oscillations Incorporated, and we have a link for globalweatheroscillations.com up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're discussing the natural climate change cycles, the fact that climate change is in fact real. However, it goes on about a 240-year cycle, and we are literally on the downward side of that right now with the uh, uh, the Arctic levels uh, having the coldest winter that they've experienced in 240-some years. But, I mean, to paraphrase Andre Crouch, that's the way God planned it. That's the way he wants it to be. So do we need this 400-and-something billion-dollar uh budget reconciliation that the Senate passed last week and why are they throwing so much money into climate change legislation and climate justice and things of that nature. More of that discussion with Professor David Dilley in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Professor David Dilley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, Professor Dilley, a noted scientist and the senior research scientist at the Global Weather Oscillations Incorporated. We have a link for their website up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're talking about climate change that is natural versus whether or not we're in a climate crisis. And uh, I know that the, uh, uh, the, 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 the fascinating conversation that we had in the first half is kind of a precursor for where we are right now, Professor Dilley, because you've seen the headlines. I have, too. Uh, all over the world, you know, London and uh, Germany and, you know, of course, here in the U.S., this is the quote unquote hottest summer ever. And uh, realizing that it could be a tenth of a degree hotter and then that makes it, you know, the hottest summer ever. But you have a history of and I'll, we'll put this up at the bottom line show dot com. You have a history of predicting weather events when it comes to hurricanes and things of that nature several months before they actually happen. It's not just an educated guess with you. I mean, your track record is very impressive. I'm just reading through some of the materials that I have on on what you've been able to do in terms of predicting hurricanes. So I want to ask you to put on your prognosticator cap, if you would. You were talking earlier about the uh, the polar uh, caps, you know, Arctic and the Antarctic and how cool it's been there. What does that mean for us in the next six to nine months here in, on planet Earth? 
Well, uh, I've been noticing on some of the uh, computer models uh, for temperatures uh, next couple of weeks that cold air is beginning to build up in Canada. And last year, we did get some shots in the last two years, uh, uh, more shots of cold air than we've had during the past 15 years or so. Mm -hmm. But now it's becoming more extensive uh, with the increase in ice in the Arctic. And also, as we indicated, the coldest spring and summer on record up in the Arctic is happening right now. Uh, so the cold air is going to be available if we get the right weather patterns, which I feel we're going to. Mm -hmm. uh, this will spill over into the United States and be uh, uh, it's going to be a winter where we say, where did this come from? Anyway, we're supposed to be in global warming. And it's all cyclical. Uh, that's that's all there is uh, to it. That's why uh, it's globalweathercycles.com. You go to that site. And uh, press one of the icons on there and take you on our, our principal site where we have a lot more information. And we use Climate Pulse technology, which is in the background, you can see the Earth, Moon, Sun in back of me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what controls most of it is the electromagnetic gravitational cycles of the Earth, Moon, Sun. Uh, global warming cycles, for instance, come about 230 years on one of these cycles, on one of these electromagnetic cycles. Uh, we've had six global warming cycles since 900 AD, six of them. Mm. Wow, and five global cooling cycles. Mm -hmm. The global warming cycles come about every 230 years, and then they end. The last global warming cycle ended in the year 1794. Add 230 years to that, and what do you have? The year yeah. 2024. We are right on schedule on a natural cycle. We're seeing it at the poles right now, North Pole, South Pole. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is the climate pulse uh, that's doing it, the Earth, Moon, Sun cycles. And it's nothing to do with industrial. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, Professor Dilly, as we were having this conversation, I'm thinking about the different cycles. The image that came to my mind is it seems as though the climate scientists have been predicting our doom for many, many years. It kind of remind me of the people who walk into a sauna, sit down and say, wow, it's getting hot in here. It's really hot. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it until the time clicks off and then it starts to cool off or people walk outside and they naturally cool off. And the reality is what you're saying is this is cyclical and it's a long cycle. How have so many climate scientists missed this, Professor Dilly? Well, um, paleoclimatologists know about it. Uh, some of the climatologists don't seem to know about it. They don't like to go beyond the year 1850. And you have to understand the past to understand now and the future. And people are, been, are ignoring the past and the cycles just for the agenda uh, programs. A lot of people are, I hate to say it, but they're pretty much brainwashed out there on all the agenda items that have been put out there. Mm -hmm. And they need to learn about the cycles. And you can uh, see that on our website. Uh, you go to the website, the climate section, have uh, a video on there. You watch the video, it'll show all the cycles going back uh, the past 600,000 years and the smaller cycles that come every 230 years. It's all cyclical. And this is what people need to, to understand about the cycles. And this has all occurred in the past. 
Uh, and you talked about, well, they're trying to tell us now, well, we're going to end the world or kill off a lot of people because of global warming. Well, global cooling is actually far more dangerous than global warming will ever Interesting. be. Interesting. In our last global cooling cycle, uh, we had a tremendous volcano in 1815. Year 1816, year of no summer. Uh, what happened? Well, uh, the volcanic uh, debris caused tremendous cooling on the earth. That winter, uh, that summer actually, the year of no summer, killing frost all the way from Maine down to Virginia during the summer, all summer, every month of the summer. Mm. Ice on small ponds in Pennsylvania. Uh, they had potato crop uh, uh, failures in Europe, um, famine, disease. And during the next 20, 30 years, about one third of Europe perished uh, through the disease and famine and so forth. And at that time, we only had, uh, I believe it was about 1 billion people to feed on Earth. Now we have 8 to 9 billion people. If we have a huge disruption in our agriculture, you can imagine what would happen between famine, political unrest. Mm -hmm. A lot could happen there. Very dangerous. This is very much more dangerous than uh, global warming would ever be. And people need to understand that. This is why we need to know about the past, to know what could happen in the future. And this drastic global cooling I'm talking about connected to a uh, large volcano could actually reoccur again in the 2030s. Hmm. And we should be prepared for it. Just global cooling even, we have to be prepared for that. We're going to have weather like the 1950s and 60s that was very cold. That's coming up. Maybe even this winter, uh, it's really coming up. And in my statistics I've been looking at and climate cycles, it looks like Europe is going to be going into one of these historical cycles beginning uh, probably next year, next winter, maybe not this winter, uh, but next winter, probably uh, uh, maybe three out of four winters or so, they're going to have some historical cold and snow in Europe. This is hmm. cyclical. It comes and goes. It's mm -hmm. happened in the past. It's going to happen again. Are you concerned, Professor David Dilley, that the uh, the academia world is going to look at this and not quite know what to do with it? I mean, this is what you're presenting is very measured. It's very level headed. It's very well researched. It, and you've got a track record of being able to predict these type of events to to prove it. What? is going to happen to the media that has their talking points all memorized and they're going to see this and not know how to deal with this as a scientific event. They'll deal with it like a political event. Well, one, one problem is uh, um, kind of a university and scientific uh, community. We give federal grants. Uh, it could be a private industry giving a, a grants to universities or the federal government and their research units live on the federal grants and and the grant money mm, mm -hmm. but the grants are worded in such a way that you have to fulfill what the grant wants so they'll write a grant saying well we want the human connection why is it causing climate change due to something so you have to fulfill that 
Mm -hmm. And that's been the only type of grants really available for about 15 years. So that's wow. the only uh, information coming out in, in scientific journals. And because of that, that's what the media gets a hold of also, is, mm -hmm. right. is that as aspect of it. So they're getting the global warming aspect of it. Now, when a lot of these researchers retire from universities, they may publish something more like what I'm talking about <laughs> because they are not connected to the grant system. Right, right. Uh, I've talked to a lot of retired uh, researchers, and this is what they've done. Once they re retire, all of a sudden, they're pushing uh, for – they're talking about the natural aspect of it. Right. But they can't do it when they're employed in the universities. So this is what I'd like to see is our government needs to overhaul the grant system. This is one of the biggest problems we're having on the information that's being fed to us now. Interesting. And then you take an organization like the uh, uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric, Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, that you were referring to earlier, and realize that they, they're basically funding uh, predetermined outcomes as opposed to letting researchers do research as you've done professor dilly and uh and we're grateful that you have done that without being beholden to those grants because this information is is powerful it's very very helpful and for those of us who are wanting to be good stewards of god's creation uh, is something we should be paying attention to uh, one final question for professor david dilly today here on the bottom line as we talk about uh the flaws in climate change projections there's been a lot made of alternative energy sources i mean we see gas prices going super high and the solution apparently in quotes is is electric vehicles uh, what what is the overall impact should we just stop driving all together i mean give us a, a scientific uh, viewpoint as to what all the furor about maybe electric cars or nitrogen fuel cells or whatever is that really helping hurting is it kind of a neutral what's your opinion on that well we could actually be in uh, big trouble down the road with the uh some of the rare metals that are used in batteries and, and uh, solar panels. Uh, I've heard uh, several talks about that. And we could be right in the pickle again. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is we have to wait for technology. You do not rush into something, just say, well, it sounds good, let's do it. Right. You need to look down the road and see what the impact is. and. If technology is good, the private sector, businesses, they'll, they'll develop the technology and go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. And yes, we need to be good sto stewards of the uh, earth for pollution. And yes, we eventually need to shift over some to a more natural type of energy. But it shouldn't be a push where you ruin the economy. As technology develops, we can go into it gradually. Uh, we don't have to do it in a matter of five years mm -hmm. or 10 years. It's not that critical because it's not causing climate change. Mm. It's just a political agenda. So let's just go into it gradually, develop the technology, um, do it slowly so we don't ruin the economy. And a lot of people are going to be hurting this winter. If we really do have a cold winter in the northern states, with the price of heating fuel, either natural gas or oil, or even electricity, they're going to be in big trouble financially. Hmm. And we are going to be going into the colder weather. And that, that's really going to be a big problem. We need the prices of petroleum back down 
uh, we're hurting, especially we're, we're hurting the poor and also retired people. Interesting. And uh, that I, I commend it to uh, our bottom line show listeners to take the audio or the video of this conversation and share it with as many friends as you can about having a measured and reasonable uh, conversation about changes in atmosphere, changes in temperature, the impact it has on the economy. This is not just a one and done solution. And, and the, the, the media mantra of buy an electric car and that will solve all of our problems is horribly oversimplified and, and dare I say, somewhat draconian. Uh, Professor David Dilley, the CEO of the outstanding organization, Global Weather Oscillations, uh, globalweatheroscillations.com is the website where we can find more of your research. Professor Dilley, great to get to meet you. Thank you for uh, helping expand our minds a little bit on the understanding of what natural climate change is versus uh, uh, what, what the man-made hysteria has led us to believe. Uh, we appreciate your wisdom and insights today here on The Bottom Line. Well, thank you for having me on. Wow, that is a powerful conversation and point, and it's a great discussion. Uh, Professor David Dilley joining me today here on The Bottom Line uh, as we have this conversation about climate change and uh, whether or not the issues are at hand that need to be addressed by Congress. So we've got a link for his research up at thebottomlineshow.com, globalweatheroscillations.com is the website. And thank you, Professor Dilley, uh, for that information. In case you did not hear, over the weekend, the uh, United States Senate passed a what they call a bipartisan bill, though, I mean, quite frankly, it, what, there's very little bipartisan about it. Um, the only uh, uh, factor in it was uh, the fact that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris yet again casting the tie-breaking vote because there were 50 Democrats and independents voting in favor of this bill and 50 Republicans all voting against it. Um, I want to review some of the key points, especially on the climate side of this bill, and then explain why elections have consequences and how we as Christians should be working toward um, being better stewards of the environment that we've inherited by God, the, that we are to care and protect, but also to understand legally um, what this is going to do to the United States uh, on the whole. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here at K-Bright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home. It was like two days before Christmas. And I was sitting at the bottom of a hill and somebody just came smashing into me. Like they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready like to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Professor David Dilley for his key insights with regard to climate change in the culture, and especially in light of the fact that over the weekend, actually yesterday, the United States Senate voted on, there were 50 different uh, provisions in this, uh, they call it the Inflation Reduction Act, but you and I both know what it means. Uh, it, it's a huge wealth transfer 
uh, from a country like the United States that it's interesting. When the U.S. was part of the Paris Climate Accord, we had been going greener before that accord even came up. When President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord, we continue to go greener. The United States is the greenest large uh, industrial nation in the world. And let's face I mean, I, I don't mean to point out the obvious here, but may I point out the obvious? I mean, the fact that, I mean, we have so many people in the culture right now who are saying, well, we got to do our part, climate change, climate change, climate change. And yet, if every inhabitant of planet Earth does not participate in trying to reduce the carbon footprint as they are trying to get rid of it, then what? what it's kind of like the old smoking sections in the restaurants back in the old days where they treat, remember smoking section on the plane? I mean, <laughs> different areas where it's like, you can smoke here, but you can't smoke there. But everyone's breathing the same air. And so you ask the question, why are we doing it? Um, it's interesting how many, the, the original budget reconciliation, the Build Back Better plan, was a $3.5 trillion package that got shot down. Um, then the issue was climate change and that type of stuff. Um, so they went to the House. House went back and cut it in half, basically. Their version was $1.75 trillion. But the, remember, this bill also included the tax provisions and, and enhanced Affordable Care Act subsidies. It, it included a universal pre-K. Here's what's not in the bill now. Um, what, what's, well, what's in the bill is, um, uh, I, 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 there's so many different, here's what's not in. Okay, universal pre-care, lower child care costs. The House bill would have provided free pre-K for three and four-year-olds. It would have limited child care costs to no more than 7% of your income if you earn more than 250% of the state median income. And there was also a paid family and sick leave. That was the, the child tax credit was supposed to be enhanced. Uh, the earned income tax credit was going to be upped and pushed and even to the point where it would have been extended for families that didn't have children. Uh, home health care, affordable costs, uh, housing, uh, children's nutrition, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, Medicare solvency, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those were all things that got dumped from the bill that the Senate looked at. But here is what stayed in. And the biggest issue, oh, cheaper insulin. Yeah, we get that. Um, climate provisions. The U.S. pledging to slash greenhouse gas emissions 40% by 2030. And to do so, uh, here here we come. Tax credits continuing for uh, electric cars, $7,500 if you buy a new one, 4000 for a used one. Uh, 10-year consumer tax credits to bring down the cost of heat pumps and rooftop solar, et cetera, et cetera. $60 billion toward domestic clean energy manufacturing. $30 billion for a production credit tax for wind, solar, and battery storage. $4 billion to end drought funding, et cetera, et cetera. Now, how are they going to pay for it? The bill would impose a 15% minimum tax on the income of large corporations report to shareholders. The book income, if you will. They said estimate is that over the next decade, that measure alone would raise $258 billion. Now, there were some, like Kristen Sinema in Arizona, who said, wait a minute, what about manufacturing? Is this going to kill manufacturing? Well, they did not tighten up an interest loophole 
that allows investment managers to treat much of their compensation as capital gains and pay a 20% long-term capital gains rate instead of their income tax rate, which is 37%. Now, you know who else got hammered on that one? Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Tax the wealthy, tax the wealthy, tax the wealthy. But if you want to treat your compensation as a capital gain instead of income tax, well, then you only owe 20% instead of 30%. We just cut your tax rate in half. If they had tightened the loophole, they would have raised an extra $14 billion. So in its place... They wound up putting in a 1% excise tax on stock buybacks. Paul Pelosi knows all about that. And that's supposed to raise $74 billion. Here's another one, too. The package also calls for providing more funding to the IRS for tax enforcement. Now, the Internal Revenue Service is about to raise enough money from the federal government to hire 87,000 new agents. 87,000. Can I put that in perspective for you? Maybe you've, you've heard this or seen this meme on social media, but here's what that means. This is from Nikki Haley's Twitter page. Biden's IRS is now going to have more staff than the Pentagon, the State Department, the FBI, and U.S. Border Patrol combined. And why is it so important? To have more IRS agents? Well, because we're going to crack down on people who aren't paying their fair share in taxes, obviously. Remember Tax the Wealthy and how that's one of the favorite sacred cows of the left? According to Joe Biden, his campaign pledge is highlighted by CNN. If your family makes less than $400,000 a year, you will be safe. However, Republican lawmakers picked up a joint committee on taxation report that said the bill would indirectly hit lower income and middle income Americans. And economists expect that, I don't know, maybe employers who wind up getting taxed and having to pay more in tax would pass along a portion of the corporate tax to workers. How would they do that? How about lower wages? Now, it's interesting. There's something called the SALT cap about state and local tax deductions. And Chuck Schumer wanted to address that cap. But uh, Joe Manchin said, no, that's not going to happen. So long and short of it is, we are redirecting hundreds of billions of dollars to quote unquote fight climate change and try to soak the wealthy. But how long before it actually lands in our laps? We'll take a look at that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Hope you've enjoyed this hour. Well, I mean, I, I enjoy these hours, these analysis, balance, and clarity hours where we have a conversation about what's going on. We've spent the past hour talking about the Budget Reconciliation Act misnamed as the Inflation Reduction Act. It will not reduce inflation. Anytime the government is printing more money and taking money that they already can't afford to spend and redirecting it toward frivolous activity like climate change. And yes, I said frivolous activity. Then we have to be concerned. Now, here's why I call it frivolous, though. It's not that we as Christians and American citizens shouldn't be mindful of the environment. We should. We as Christians have a biblical mandate to care for all creation. When God created Adam and Eve and put them in charge of the Garden of Eden, that extended, that commanded them, extended, I believe, outside of Eden into all of creation. So we should not be irresponsible with the environment, no question. 
But when the government says, well, we're going to put $4 billion in the climate justice and $5 billion in the drought control and things like that, knowing it's just going to get sucked up in meetings and analysis and press conferences, and, and obviously they'll have to travel to exotic lands you know, to discuss that type of stuff as well. I encourage you to read this report from CNN, and we're also putting one up from Fox News as well, to show what's actually in the bill, what's left out. And, and help you understand that if you are a registered Democrat, they're trying to buy your vote with this package by passing it now. They bought, I mean, they, they caved on the progressive side, which may come back to bite them on November the 8th. But the reality is we should not be looking to the government to solve these types of problems. These are problems that we, the people, should be coming up with solutions for. And that's the bottom line on that. For our friends at KCBC, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, we've got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus next for you. For those who remain on the network, we're going to take a look at the flooding in Denver, record flooding that happened over the weekend, and also good news in a religious liberty case coming out of San Diego. That's all coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome back to this edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I say welcome back. Uh, how about welcome to... If you if you are just tuning in, uh, boy, if you did not get a chance to hear the first hour of the broadcast, I commend it to you highly. Professor David Dilley uh, joined me, climate scientist and a senior science researcher at the National Weather Oscillation Center. And we discussed climate change. We discussed the man-made part of it. We discussed the natural part of it. And in light of the fact that the U.S. Senate has now passed their version of the budget reconciliation bill that's going to earmark literally billions of dollars to fight climate change and reduce carbon emissions. The reality is one of the statistics that I didn't bring up earlier that uh, the Professor Dilley did, uh, the, the Senate plan that passed as Democrats had the majority with Vice President Harris casting the, uh, the deciding vote yesterday, um, said there would be a mandatory reduction of greenhouse gas carbon emissions by 40% by 2030. Now, phys physically, that's not possible, number one. But number two, to Professor Dilley's point, it's not necessary. The, the necessity part, he said, you know, when you get right down to it, the model that most climate scientists use is based on a base year of 1850 and how things have changed from 1850 till today. And what they don't take into consideration was that in 1850, Fast forward, what, 150 years to 2000, 170 years. We were about 70 years into a natural warming trend that can be verified scientifically going back six different cycles. And so the idea that somehow uh, man-made climate change, fossil fuels and the like, I mean, some of the ridiculous things, right? They're talking about climate change in some of the agricultural parts of the United States. <laughs> Remember the methane tax on cows? I mean, for crying out loud, that this is, I, mean, I appreciate the scientific concern. I know that as Christians, we have a Genesis 1 and 2 mandate to care for creation. And we should be better stewards of the environment hands down. But the solutions that were being offered, whether it with electric cars, you know, getting off of fossil fuel, never mind the fact that for the past decade, the majority of uh, electricity has been generated in this country by coal. The fact that some kind of back end deal got made. Joe Manchin, the one of the two Senate Democrats who was holding out on passing the Senate version of this bill. Uh, did so only after some arm twisting on his part that said, hey, stop punishing the coal industry. So no specifics were actually given as to what actually happened there. But he and Chuck Schumer worked some kind of deal. You know, they did. And a lot of things had to come off the books. The idea that we were supposed to have universal pre-K and, and that we were supposed to have uh, extending the child tax credit 
to couples who did not have children. I mean, just there are all sorts of handouts and gimmies that, that were in this. Even paid universal paternal leave. Parent leave for when your child, when a child is born. And people would say, Roger, that's cruel and unusual. No, it's not. It's not the government's job to tell businesses to do that. I believe that's a good thing. I think most Americans do. And I would hope that every Christian company in the nation and every church would have that kind of protection. If we truly are pro-life, then we want those first few formative bonding years to, to, to have some kind of impact. And if having mom and dad at home with paid leave for six weeks or whatever it is, is going to help, then bake that into the cost of doing business. But please don't put that on my tax bill. And if you don't want to offer that as a bill, a benefit, then that's fine. That's, we should be free to choose that. But that was initially, there were several billion dollars baked in to this bill. Remember, the Biden plan originally was $3.5 trillion. The House passed a skinny down version of $1.75 trillion back in October. This version is considerably less damaging. But still, the whole issue of climate change, the fact that Professor David Dilley shared with us during the past hour that the natural heating that you're seeing in the climate right now is a 243-year cycle that's literally on its way down. The summer in the Arctic Poles this year has been the coolest it's been in 240 years, which means we're looking at a very cold winter here on planet Earth. And that also, especially in North America, and it means that next year will be cooler and we'll start a global cooling cycle that could wind up leaving us in worse shape because of the reliance on the heating products, natural gas, petroleum products, things like that, that we use to keep everybody warm, aren't going to be there anymore. The electrical grids are going to be overworked. You get the idea. The lithium harvesting, the pollution that we generate, the fact that all those wind turbines you see all across the country, it may be generating, they may be generating a lot of wind. I believe the state of Iowa gets uh, 70% of their electricity now from geothermal, from the, the turbines. Not nearly as much in California where you see them in Palm Springs and other places like that. But those turbines, from what I've read, once they are retired and they have a shelf life of 10, 15, 20 years. Once they're retired, it costs a half a million dollars to take each one of those away and they are not recyclable. The solar panels on your house, not recyclable. The batteries in your electric cars, not recyclable. You get the idea? We're trying to move away from fossil fuels to quote unquote save the environment and in doing so, we're polluting it worse. So why? I mean, but then people say, well, Roger, did you see what happened in Denver yesterday? Sure I did. I mean, Denver Pueblo pelted with downpours, torrential rains, what, two inches in 30 minutes? Denver Fire Department reporting there were 19 people rescued from their vehicles, at least 19. 11 people rescued uh, near Interstate 70 and York Street, eight people at 38th and Blake. The video is dramatic. We're going to put some up at thebottomlineshow.com. Of course, our KLDC listeners are living that dream. Right now, and someone would say, well, see, they, you know, they've got the extreme heat in certain parts of the country, and then you've got the crazy rains here, and, and it's all global warming, and so we've got to reduce our fossil emissions by 20, 40% over the next seven years, or there's not going to be the planet Earth left. And the reality is, well, we're going to reduce emissions, but the natural emissions that we see versus the man-made emissions are the issue. Professor Dilley shared with me just uh, you can go back and listen to the archives at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, at Stitcher, it's TuneIn, TheBottomLineShow.com, RogerMarsh.com. You can find them all there. And I encourage you to listen to what Professor Dilly has to say, because basically what he's saying is the models that we've been using for measuring the damaging effects of climate change are wrong. 
1850, we had a certain level of CO2 emissions, and the, the intelligentsia and academic world are basically saying, well, now we've seen the temperatures increasing, and the reason the temperatures are increasing is because of man-made global warming, because we're putting out more, uh, we're spewing out more, you know, muck into the atmosphere and you know, burning gasoline, and it's, it's ruining the, the country. In actual fact, less than 10% of the damaging CO2 that's been em emitted into the air is coming from those sources. The other 80 to 90% is us. You know that whole exchange where we get oxygen from the plants and we give them CO2? Yeah, that's what he's saying. And so it's like, well, why would you put hundreds of billions of dollars into fighting something that's going to happen naturally anyway? Why would you put the U.S. on a strict diet to try to limit, eliminate carbon emissions that won't happen by 2030? Getting onto electric vehicles by 2035, we don't have the power for it. And quite frankly, if China doesn't start cooperating until 2030, then all the U.S. work over the next seven years is basically us taking money out of some industries and sending it to foreign countries in the form of taxes and credits and things of that nature. It isn't going to add up. It isn't going to help. I will put the article up about the Denver flash flooding up at thebottomlineshow.com. And as I mentioned, if you have not had a chance to hear my conversation with Professor David Dilley about climate change, what is real, what isn't, I highly commend it to you, especially in light of the fact that your United States Senate just passed a measure that's going to start taxing you and weaponizing the Internal Revenue Service to shake down all the... That's where they're going to get $500 billion to pay for this if they're going to start... Sque you think the audits are bad now? Just wait. Uh, all that info is up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, uh, last Thursday, last Friday, I received notification from our friends at First Liberty that there was a case here locally involving a church in San Diego that was hoping to rent space from a facility run by the San Diego Opera Association. And it was for a Christmas presentation. And, you know, there are some churches that do nice, small, quaint, you know, 40, 50 people show up kids from the children's ministry, you know, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, all that stuff. And they do what they do, right? Well, then, you know, there are some larger productions. You know, I, I think back to the old days of the glory of Christmas and the glory of Easter at the old Crystal Cathedral. I think of the live animals at Saddleback Church and, you know, these major productions all across the country, you know, with orchestras and singing and all that stuff. Well, sometimes churches put on Christmas presentations that really require a much larger facility. Well, Awakened Church in San Diego found a facility that was run by the San Diego Opera Association, and they entered into an agreement to rent that facility to put on their Christmas pageant until somebody at the Opera Association said, or the symphony, rather, uh, said, hey, we got a problem here, and the problem here is that this is a religious organization, and we don't want to get involved with that because religion. And so they rescinded the organization. Yeah, it's the San Diego Symphony Orchestra Association. I want to make sure I get the right organization here. And so Awakened Church contacted our friends at First Liberty Institute who reached out to the San Diego Symphony Orchestra Association and said, here's the deal. We want They want to rent Rady Shell. Uh, it's a venue that you manage. Uh, what's the deal here? And they reminded them of certain legal rights that the church did in fact have. Well, we have an update on that case. And Jordan Pratt, senior counsel for First Liberty, is going to join me to talk about good news for a San Diego church. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.
Well, we have some good news on the religious liberty front that actually started out like it was going to be yet another one of those crabby atheist, angry humanists don't understand the law. But today here on The Bottom Line, uh, we've got good news from our uh, new colleague, Jordan Pratt, who's senior counsel for First Liberty Institute, uh, involving a situation with Awakened Church right here in San Diego and uh, apparently being too religious. Jordan Pratt, welcome back. Uh, welcome to The Bottom Line Show, I should say. Sure. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, can we talk a, a little bit about the situation? Because it's not uncommon for a church to rent space from an organization that isn't a church and then, you know, either to run a Christian school or to do a performance or something like that. So I'm sure the uh, the folks who were in leadership at Awaken Church in San Diego didn't really think there'd be a problem with what they were entering into. But pick up the story from there about how uh, the San Diego Symphony Orchestra Association was trying to clip their wings, so to speak. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the story started out at uh, the beginning of the summer. Um, uh, Awaken does every year uh, a night of Christmas, which is a very large performance um, celebrating Christmas. And, you know, they do it every year. Uh, it's very well attended and it requires a very large venue. Uh, and Awaken, of course, is itself a very large church. So they were looking around for, you know, an appropriate venue to have this year's night of Christmas. They found the Rady Shell which is, you know, an outdoor theater space uh, in, in, in a park in San Diego. And they reached out and uh, asked, you know, whether they could uh, rent the Rady Shell for their night of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And everything was going well. Um, it sounded like things were headed towards, you know, the preparation of a contract. Um, they were just basically discussing dates, and they had targeted a weekend that it looked like would work for the Rady Shell, which is managed by the, the San Diego Symphony. Um, so a symphony, you know, uh, official was is corresponding with with our client but then um things kind of took an odd twist uh there was a couple of weeks of just sort of radio silence and then out of the blue um you know they finally get a response back and the response essentially said look we realize now that uh you know that you're a church and we don't have a policy about renting to religious organizations therefore we're not going to rent to you or to any other religious organizations Hmm. Um, so actually it kind of sounds like there is a policy, right? The policy yeah. is that we don't rent to religious organizations. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so that's when um, Awaken contacted us at First Liberty. And uh, we sent out a letter um, last week that just explained that, you know, refusing to rent a place of public accommodation uh, on the basis of religion is a violation of Title II of the Federal Civil Rights Act and of California's Civil Rights Act. And uh, we actually just got a response back um, over the weekend um, that the symphony has, you know, reconsidered and that they're now willing to work with our client to find a date. You know, it's interesting. I'm talking with Jordan Pratt today here on The Bottom Line, Senior Counsel for First Liberty Institute. We've got a link for firstliberty.org up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's interesting, Jordan, how quickly it seems like as the progression was going, the negotiations between the church and the symphony or- organization were actually moving along. And then I, I don't want to you know, stick my nose in this far, this far, but it seems like somebody got afraid or somebody heard from somebody with one of these crappy atheist groups that said, oh, wait a minute, I don't care how big this church is. I don't care how big their, their event is. You can't rent to them because they're religious and, make it even worse, it's a Christian church. Uh, was that kind of what you guys were sensing when you sent your letter reminding them of what the, uh, uh, the Civil Rights Act and the First Amendment are all about? So I think, you know, all that we really had in terms of communication, which is really helpful, actually, because it was written, uh, was the email. 
right? And the email just simply said, you know, you're religious and, you know, we've realized we don't have a policy and yada, yada. So mm-hmm. um, I think probably what happened was they just didn't realize that they were dealing with a church because Awaken has um, a ministry, you know, dedicated to their, uh, you know, their um, the, the arts. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, perhaps they thought that they were dealing with a private production company. And then finally, when they realized it was a church, I think that's probably what happened. And as far as, you know, what prompted, you know, the response of, well, hey, you're religious, therefore we're not going to rent to you. I mean, you can't really know the heart of the mind uh, unless, you know, um, you know, unless you hear directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So all we really have is that email. Mm. Um, I do think, you know, without sort of leveling any accusation against any particular person, I do think that there is a trend in our culture now uh, to view religious faith uh, with um, suspicion, distrust, distaste mm-hmm. even. And uh, I think that that's, um, you know, that's obviously uh, not a good uh, development um, in our society. But I do think that, that that is always a possibility, right, that there mm-hmm. is um, some distrust or distaste for, for religious faith. But um, in any event, the, uh, the symphony has uh, decided to chart a new course and to comply with the law, um, or at least, you know, to, to work towards compliance, to find a date. Mm-hmm. And we're hopeful that uh, no additional action will be necessary beyond our letter. Jordan Pratt is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, Senior Counsel for First Liberty Institute, firstliberty.org. And we have a link for the First Liberty site up at thebottomlineshow.com. So you could read the press release. You can see what's going on. Uh, Jordan, talk about what kind of letter you guys write. I mean, you, you've written lots of these to organizations, I think, first and foremost, where you're just reminding them of what the law says, what the Constitution says, you know, where this organization might be in error. And it seems like it's quite a contrast from what we typically see in reverse, where we'll hear the crabby atheist angry humanist group going after a school, for example, like in a Joe Kennedy case, and writing some kind of cease and desist letter where they don't really have a legal leg to stand on, but the school district will kind of cower, the knees will buckle a bit because they don't want to get sued. In a case like yours, I mean, talk about the, the what, what these letters look like, because I'm sure there may be an organization listening to us right now who might potentially have a situation where they would need to retain services of an organization like yours, but they're wondering, okay, you know, this is a pretty clear case, but what's the first step? Because we don't want to go to court. Right. Well, you know, and I don't think that we do either. I mean, the, the, the ideal world is a world in which um, you know, individuals and organizations comply with the law without being told by a judge to comply with the law. Right. Right. Um, nobody wants to, you know, to run to court um, to, you know, settle a dispute in the first instance. Right. You, you sort of you go to the person and say, hey, look, you know, you may not realize that what you did violates the law. Uh, will you please stop? Um, so that's that's essentially what our letters are. Um, it's attorney speak, you know, for, uh, <clears throat> you know, for, you know, what you've done is violating the law. Please stop. Um, and the hope is that, you know, the individual or the organization will read it, be persuaded and, and maybe realize something they didn't realize before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, I think everybody wins uh, when, um, you know, when there's a resolution out of court. So that's that's usually our first step. Now, sometimes, you know, we'll have a matter where we have every reason to think that the other side just is going to adhere and is dug in and doesn't want to really engage with us. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any of those signals here. Um, so that's why, you know, our first step, unless we have a strong reason otherwise, is to send a letter. Um, and then the second thing that I would mention, um, you were uh, describing how other churches may be in a similar position. This actually is a really classic case of, of you know, standing on your rights respectfully can really um, improve the lives of other people who are in your same position. 
the mm-hmm. email response that our client got said not only that our that 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 the symphony was unwilling to rent to our client, but also that the symphony was not going to rent to any other religious organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that 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 may have just stemmed from a uh, you know just a simple misunderstanding of their legal obligations. Um, but now that that's been hopefully corrected, and again we're we're hopeful that we'll we'll have a, a resolution. Um, you know, I think that that's going to bring some cover to other, um, you know, religious bodies in the San Diego area who, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't heard from anybody that had asked to rent the Rady Shell and been denied, but it's certainly possible that that uh, had either happened to somebody else or could have happened to somebody else. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a good thing to respectfully stand on your rights to, you know, to provide cover for other people too. Absolutely. I, I, that's we, We're a community in the body of Christ, especially. We realize that uh, our actions do have an impact on others. And there are times when something like this, like a legal matter, especially our tendency might be to kind of close the vest a little bit and see how we could resolve this just on our own. But uh, that's great counsel from Jordan Pratt, a senior counsel, First Liberty Institute, with regard to if your church finds yourself in a similar situation, why it is important to reach out like to an organization like First Liberty, and you can learn more about firstliberty.org. Well, Jordan, congratulations on uh, this resolution. Uh, it came without uh, you know, too much legal struggle, and I'm grateful that the uh, folks at the San Diego Symphony or- Orchestra Association uh, saw the light, literally and figuratively, so the Awakened Church Christmas pageant can go on. What are you working on? Take the last 60 seconds of our time together here and talk about some of the other cases that you're working on at First Liberty right now. Oh, we're working on a ton of cases. Um, you know, so as an organization, we represent um, individuals and organizations of all faiths, um, and we have uh, a number of clients. Uh, we have uh, some Catholic uh, and Protestant clients um, who uh, have dealt with uh, difficulties regarding vaccine mandates. Um, we have cases uh, actually involving grooming regulations, which you know, for some individuals, wearing um, a beard is a, is a religious, um, you know, a religious uh, act. Um, so we have uh, some folks that have run into some issues with those sorts of things. Um, and uh, we also have, um, you know, some folks that have uh, been fired for, you know, refusing to violate their convictions on the job after yeah. having asked for, you know, a reasonable accommodation and not gotten one. Um, so, you know, at various stages of, of development, you know, we have some litigation and some pre-litigation cases. But, you know, we uh, basically we, we are here to litigate for um, our first freedom for religious liberty, for people of all faiths. And if anybody uh, is encountering an issue, uh, they're welcome to uh, go on our website, firstliberty.org, and submit a request for legal help. We look at all of those, and uh, we prayerfully consider each one. I love it. I love it. Well, you guys do great work, and I'm not surprised that we had the outcome that we did, though pleasantly surprised it happened as, as quickly as it did, too. Jordan Pratt, Senior Counsel for First Liberty Institute. Firstliberty.org is where you find him online. Jordan, thanks so much for uh, your time today and for the great work you're doing. Uh, we appreciate you being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great to get to meet Jordan Pratt, the senior counsel from First Liberty Institute, to talk about the good news for Awakened Church and a resolution in their case involving the San Diego Symphony Orchestra Association. And good on them for uh, doing right in this case as well. Some final thoughts in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, and hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound 
in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market, you go back. You want to put it into a CD, you go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you can earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Jordan Pratt, Senior Counsel of First Liberty Institute. FirstLiberty.org is where you find information about this case that we've been discussing as well. Um, This is a... uh, um, a, a classic case of an organization. I mean, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. Jordan was polite and uh, legally didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, step on anyone's toes. And I get it. He's a lawyer, so he kind of has to speak lawyer speak. But here's what typically happens in cases like this. Um, I use the school example. A school has a teacher, a faculty member, or even a student who engages in some kind of Christian activity, and the crabby atheists and angry humanists send a cease and desist letter to the school district saying, we will sue you if you don't tell that student, that faculty member, whatever to stop. And so the district will do it, and then if it's Joe Kennedy, you wind up going to the Supreme Court and you win because the school district was wrong. They just didn't want to fight a legal battle and have to pay a lot of legal fees. In the case here, I think Jordan Pratt made a, a very, very interesting observation, and I want to underscore it here. He said, "This is we've gotten to the point in the culture where people just don't want to have to deal with religious issues anymore. And what he didn't say was they don't want to have to deal with religious issues of a Christian nature. Now, I've never seen Awakened Church's uh, Christmas pageant. I don't know if it's Michael Card base or if it's Busby Berkeley. I mean, <laughs> who knows? I mean, it could be really, really wild and outlandish. It could be very, very meaningful. It could be combinations of both. But the reality is they do have the right to perform. They do have the right to rent space from an entity. And the San Diego Symphony Orchestra Association apparently has some kind of connection to the government. Uh, perhaps it's government funding. It may even be an out growth of the county of San Diego or the city of San Diego where they were just trying to protect their interests and I get it but it seems to be that Christianity gets picked on more and more we think about the satanic temple and was it Tulsa Oklahoma a few years ago that held a black mass literally the reverse of the Eucharist at the Tulsa City Hall and when a Catholic group petitioned and asked why they were doing it The city told them, we have rented the space to them. What they do with it is up to them now, so don't come after us with this. Knowing full well that if the Catholic Church wanted to have a celebration of Mass, the first person who complained against it, the city would be pulling their permit. The reality is, brothers and sisters, there are legal remedies for these challenges, and I think they're good, and it's good to pursue them. And as Jordan Platt mentioned, um, this Pratt, rather, this is the... um, perfect opportunity for you as a Christian group if you're facing this kind of trouble to contact a group like First Liberty or Alliance Defending Freedom and to prevent you know, or prevent your rights from being trampled upon but also to ensure that other organizations get that cover. Here's now a case precedent. But secondly, we should not be surprised when people come after us because Jesus told us, look, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. So the question is not, how do we keep these types of things from happening, but are we going to be strong enough and prayed up enough to deal with them when they do happen? And that's the bottom line. 